What's up everybody, Gen X Dividend Investor here. In this video I explore the contentious topic of SIN stocks to understand why some dividend investors own them and why some won't come near them. So if you appreciate stuff like this then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Now SIN stocks often elicit strong emotions from people, both for and against them, though I've found that the best investors are those that can control their emotions. That doesn't mean you should or shouldn't invest in something because of how it makes you feel, but it does mean that you should be aware of how your emotions might be influencing your investing actions. Okay, let's kick this off with a definition. SIN stocks, sometimes known as vice stocks, are companies involved in activities that some people consider are unethical or immoral, with classic ones being alcohol, tobacco, gambling, adult entertainment, and weapons. Beyond those ones, you can also find other stocks that people categorize as SIN, which I'll elaborate on later. Basically, if something offends you or bothers you, then no doubt someone will consider it a sin company. I'm going to focus on tobacco sin stocks in this video, but I'll also go over other areas as well. Sin stocks actually aren't a recognized sector in the global industry classification standard, but I still like to use sin as a sector when I'm categorizing the stocks in my dividend portfolio. Sin stocks are known to often have more regulatory risk, face more lawsuits, have higher taxes, and sometimes can deal with more negative public perceptions about them. Those higher taxes are a reason why some governments will be hard-pressed to completely ban them. Some investors avoid sin stocks because they don't want to be involved in making money from exploiting human vices, and some avoid them simply because they don't like the business metrics and trends that they see. But other people, like myself, do invest in them, even with the risks and issues. Why? Well, with risk often comes reward, and some investors like the risk premium that sin stocks tend to have. In fact, Altria was the best performing stock on the market from 1968 to 2017 when including reinvested dividends, returning an astonishing 20% per year during that 50 year period. I'm going to show you how amazing that really is so it sinks in. Let's compare how a $1,000 investment made about 50 years ago in the overall stock market would have done versus $1,000 invested in Altria. For reference, $1,000 back then is like 8,000 inflation adjusted dollars right now. So if you'd invested $1,000 in the overall stock market and had gotten a 10% compounded quarterly return, then at the end of 49 years your portfolio would have grown to 126 grand. Not bad. But instead of making a 10% return, let's see what a 20% annualized return in Altria would have done for you. This shows us that $1,000 invested in 1968 and getting a 20% annualized return would take us to having a portfolio worth $14.2 million. Wow. That means a 20% annualized return made your portfolio over 100 times larger than a 10% annualized return over 50 years. I guess compounding in time really do do magical things for your portfolio. Now it's important to recognize that Altria was able to do that during the heyday of tobacco stocks, thus the returns they saw over those 50 years are unlikely to happen again in the upcoming 50 years, i.e. just because a company did good in the past does not mean they'll continue to do so in the future. I mean, people used to smoke in restaurants, on airplanes, in malls, sitting at their desk at work, even doctors working in hospitals could smoke. Smoking advertisements were everywhere from billboards to TV commercials to movies. And all that advertising helped grow sales. Back then, people had less access to information on the negative health effects of smoking, and it wasn't until the decades later that the tobacco companies were found guilty of lying to the American public about the deadly effects of cigarettes and secondhand smoke. So, because of the big tobacco settlement, tobacco companies can no longer advertise and promote tobacco products like they used to. They can't pay to have people smoking in movies, or in TV shows, or in video games. They can't sponsor sports stadiums, etc. Thus, you might guess that after that big settlement that revenue from domestic sales of tobacco products would plummet in the US. 
But no, even though overall domestic consumption of cigarettes decreased, the cigarette price increases tobacco companies did more than offset the declines to enable tobacco companies to keep making more money. What tobacco companies often do is increase the price per pack by 10 to 15 cents every so often, which most of their customers keep paying. So a key point is that the tremendous growth that tobacco companies experienced at one point in time will be hard to see again. But hard doesn't mean impossible. Imagine if cannabis becomes legal around the world. That would probably be a huge growth catalyst for many companies like Altria that are starting to play in that space. Tobacco companies are also creating new products to enable growth given more health conscious consumers, and some even have strategies to become smoke-free companies over time. Their new products are often called less unhealthy, which doesn't mean healthy. These new products include things like e-cigarettes aka vaping and heat not burn smokeless tobacco products amongst others. However, these new products have some of the same risks as cigarettes along with some other risks. Places like the Mayo Clinic have said that there are no harmless tobacco products. And things are getting even harder these days for tobacco companies. For example, New Zealand recently announced a comprehensive plan to end smoking in their country. Their proposal was to effectively ban anyone 14 years or younger from being able to purchase cigarettes for their entire lifetimes, and it would raise the minimum age to buy cigarettes every year beginning in 2023. So it would basically allow any existing people to continue to smoke, but would prohibit any new from starting. That's a big deal and other countries could do the same. So even if you put ethical concerns aside, there are real risks to consider before investing in something like tobacco, even though studies have shown that the largest 50 cent stocks around the world have outperformed the overall market. Which is why some people accept the risks and they still invest. Some sin companies have existed for over 100 years, so investors are betting that their management teams will figure out how to keep rewarding their shareholders for another 100. An observation I've had is that some of the investors that say they refuse to invest in sin stocks don't realize that the ETFs they own actually do invest in them. To be fair though, more ETFs are removing sin stocks from their portfolios these days. Okay, a reason why some investors like tobacco sin stocks is because tobacco demand is inelastic. Leave me a comment down below if you remember learning what inelastic means from your high school econ class. Inelastic basically means that when prices go up, it doesn't really affect consumer demand too much. I.e. even though prices go up, consumers keep buying them. Other examples of products which people spend money on, almost regardless of price, include utilities and prescription drugs. So what percentage of adults smoke these days? Well, here's a diagram I matched together from the World Health Organization that shows the percentage of men and women aged 15 and older who smoke any tobacco product on a daily or non-daily basis. This doesn't include smokeless tobacco. We see that in 2007, 29% of those people in the USA smoked, and in 2018 and that fell down to 25%. So a decline, but maybe not as much as you would have guessed. Most countries around the world saw a decline as well. Here's another useful view which shows sales of cigarettes per adult per day over the last 100 plus years. What you can see is that sales increased dramatically for a while, but then they really fell off around 1998 after that big tobacco settlement. So given that, you might think that tobacco revenue also fell dramatically, but it's more nuanced than that. I found a quote that said since 1990, global prevalence of smoking among those aged 15 to 24 has decreased significantly. However, the absolute number of young smokers has increased in some regions fueled by population growth. Or to say that differently, while the general percentage of smokers in the world's population is decreasing over time, the world's population is increasing, so net-net we end up in a situation where the number of smokers in the world has slowly trended up. Surprising, isn't it? So understanding what geographies have more smokers can give you insights into the companies that sell products in those areas. For example, here's a chart of the world's population from 1974 to 2021. 
We had 4 billion people on Earth in the 70s, but now we're about to hit 8 billion. And here are a couple charts that show how from 1990 to 2019, the number of smokers has increased around the world on average, as well as some geographies have less smokers in them and some have more. So countries in blue have had decreasing amounts of smokers, and countries shaded in yellow, orange, and red have had an increased number of smokers. And even though traditional cigarette sales are declining in certain geographies, newer tobacco products are increasing in sales in pretty much wherever they are sold. Bottom line, there's a massive market still existing and persisting that tobacco companies and their shareholders benefit from, which is why some people choose to invest in them. I mentioned the inelastic nature of tobacco demand, and another aspect to appreciate is that the worse the economy gets, the more some people rely on their vices, whether that's smoking or gambling or drinking or eating or whatever. Thus, recessions and depressions and shaking economies can actually help those products do even better than they do in normal times. And that might help explain why, in the stock market where people are freaking out about the drop we've had, that Ultra is still up 11% year-to-date, bucking the overall trends. Other well-known tobacco dividend stocks include Philip Morris and British American Tobacco, all of which I'm long in, and all of which have gone up over 10% year-to-date in an environment where most other stocks are falling. It's good to understand that I'm in my tobacco stocks primarily for income, not because I expect to see huge stock appreciation. Each stock in my portfolio has different purposes it fulfills, whether that's risk mitigation, better stock appreciation, its solid dividend history, my desire to diversify various ways, etc. Nothing is ever guaranteed in investing, and you can always find stocks that buck the norms, so I recommend you always research and understand the companies you invest in. The last thing you should do is blindly invest in any stocks just because I own them, because when I bought, what my goals are, what my risk tolerances are, etc. are all unique to me. Stable dividend income matters a lot to me since that's literally how I pay my bills, and as we potentially head into recession years, I like to be confident my dividends will keep on paying. Now I don't have tobacco stocks in my kids' custodial accounts, as I focus them on tech stocks primarily, because I believe I'll see the best long-term growth in them. But I do think that an investor can generate reasonable returns by investing in recession-resistant synth stocks, assuming they can get over any discomfort they might possess to own them. Recent research out of the University of California found that bad news events have a lesser impact on SIN stock return volatility than do good news events, aka when the S is hitting the fan, SIN stocks hold up better. The S seems to be hitting the fan more and more these days, doesn't it? SIN stocks are defensive and tend to remain more stable under tough economic conditions. But I also can appreciate if you hate tobacco stocks and refuse to invest in them. I mean, the World Health Organization found that more than 7 million deaths a year are the result of direct tobacco use, and another 1.2 million are from non-smokers who are dying because they were exposed to secondhand smoke. That means that about 15% of global deaths are attributed to smoking. So what I want for you is to invest in what makes sense to you. For context, my dad smoked for a while, and I have multiple relatives who smoke and have lung cancer that has been attributed to smoking. Yet I still support people's free choice to smoke as long as it doesn't negatively impact someone else. I personally enjoy a cigar at bachelor parties once in a blue moon. Anyways, most people understand how regulations have hurt tobacco companies. But in an ironic twist of fate, it turns out that some regulations have actually made the existing tobacco companies even more monopolistic. The fact that it's basically illegal to advertise smoking in the US now makes it way more challenging for a new company to try to compete against existing established tobacco companies. And that stifling of competition makes the existing players stronger. Crazy. Imagine trying to start a new company, but you can't advertise that you even exist. And that's why it's a big deal when Philip Morris announced their intent to acquire Swedish Match recently, as that takes another competitor out of the markets, making PM even more powerful. That means even more reduced competition in an already walled garden of competitors. Insane. But you still gotta dig into tobacco company financial metrics to understand the trends and the risks. 
look at their cash flow trends, their debt trends, their shares outstanding in revenue and income, how sustainable their dividend is, and etc. I read an interesting article that said that sin stocks are in part systematically underpriced because of institutional investors' inability to buy them due to issues with socially responsible investing. To me, that means that if enough people avoid a group of stocks, then their valuations will be lower and their expected returns should be higher. Works for me. Okay, now let's talk about another sin stock category, alcohol. Alcohol is another inelastic industry. You'll find that the alcohol industry remains relatively stable in good or bad markets and probably actually does better in bad. Some people drink alcohol to celebrate or they just do it socially. Some drink to drown their sorrows, which obviously isn't smart. Drinking alcohol is an important part of many cultures around the world, but it can also become a problem for some people who drink too much. Some people get addicted or overly reliant on it. I've got an old college friend who's successful at his job, but man does he go through bottles of wine and cases of beer when he comes to visit. I personally enjoy wine or beer every so often and am a gin and tonic fan. Some well-known alcohol dividend companies include Brown Foreman, ticker BFB, which is a dividend aristocrat that almost no one talks about, but owns brands you've heard of like Jack Daniels. The Brown Foreman Class A shares carry voting privileges and are thinly traded due to control by the Brown family, while the Class B shares are non-voting stock. Another alcohol company that pays a dividend is Constellation Brands, ticker STZ, which has brands like Robert Mondavi Wine, Pacifico Beer, plus others. Another company is Anheuser-Busch InBev, ticker BUD, with brands like Budweiser, Stellar Artois, Bex, and others, and is actually a company that Altria partially owns. Yet another well-known dividend alcohol stock is Diageo, ticker Dio, a British company with brands like Johnny Walker, Smirnoff, Captain Morgan, Guinness, and a bunch of others. The last dividend alcohol company I'll mention is Molson Coors, ticker TAP. Now, just because sin stocks generally do good in weak markets, it doesn't mean they always do. Take a look at Boston Beer Company, which is down 31% year-to-date. And they don't even pay a dividend, so there you go. I have a buddy who got married to an ex-Playboy playmate who briefly worked at Boston Beer Company. See, sin stocks enable happy marriages. They ain't all bad. I read a stat that the average American spends 1% of their income on alcohol. And a recent study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that the percentage of Americans consuming alcohol annually increased from 65% in 2001 to 73% in 2013. The number of people who reported alcohol use disorder, a disease characterized by excessive alcohol intake, was up almost 50%. Looking internationally, I found this graph that breaks down various countries in Europe and shows what percentage of total household consumption is spent on alcoholic beverages. Looks like Latvia really likes their alcohol, where 4.8% of household consumption expenditure is on alcohol. So I think the future for alcoholic beverages looks compelling to me from an investment perspective. You see a lot of popularity for high-end spirits and craft brews amongst millennials, and so as that generation's earning power increases, their desire for high-quality alcohol will probably continue to enable growth in the alcoholic sector. Now I mentioned how regulations actually ironically help tobacco companies in certain ways, and the same thing can be said for alcohol companies. There is something called the tiered alcohol distribution system in many US states, which seemingly limits competition. The basic structure of that system is that alcohol producers can only sell their products to wholesale distributors, who then can only sell to retailers, and retailers can only sell to consumers. That system stifles the open market concept and reduces competition, which then makes the existing companies harder to breach. And again, what's a sin to one person isn't always a sin to another. For example, take alcohol. In Germany, beer brewing heritage is seen almost as a source of national pride, not a sin. But on the other side of the coin are people who see alcohol as an addictive substance that may lead to physical and emotional independence, leading to a slew of negative life implications. My wife and I are friends with a couple that seem perfect, 
I, she has model looks and he played in the NFL for a decade and they live in a mansion and blah blah blah. And it recently came out that he's a monstrous alcoholic and has gone on drinking binges where he ended up in random places and long story short they just got divorced. Their money is in shambles and they just sold off the dividend stocks they inherited from their rich parents. Sad Panda. Okay, now let's move on to another sock category in gambling. Vegas baby, Vegas. Once again, the regulations that have been put in place have made the existing companies more resistant to competitors. Think of gambling licenses. States currently issue a limited number of gambling licenses, which hinders new competitors from entering the market, which makes the existing players more powerful. Like many sin products, you have people who casually gamble and enjoy the entertainment aspect, and then you have people who go overboard and aren't balanced, and gambling becomes an addictive issue which leads to financial problems and maybe even relationship issues. Some dividend companies to be aware of include Churchill Downs, ticker CHDN, which is a company focused on horse racing, online wagering, and gaming. They have a very low yield. A company that just entered the gaming space's realty income, a triple net lease REIT I'm long in, which recently agreed to buy a casino for $1.7 billion. Vici Properties is a dividend REIT that owns one of the largest portfolios of gaming and entertainment destinations. Blackstone Group, ticker BX, is an asset management firm with a real estate vertical that which owns Bellagio's and Aria in Las Vegas, amongst others. Gaming and Leisure Properties, ticker GLPI, is a REIT which owns a bunch of gaming facilities across multiple states. They took a big hit when the pandemic shut down initially, but now it's done a good job recovering. So again, there never is a sure thing with any investment. I saw a study that said that gaming no longer works well for hedging against the impact of a recession, because in recent years, many big casinos have become too dependent on discretionary spending. Specifically, casino operators' profits have become more dependent on their hotel, restaurant, bar, and entertainment businesses, and less on true gaming. Thus, when the economy slows and people have less money to spend, then those gaming companies have suffered. So casinos that are part of those glitzy Vegas strip hotels probably don't do as well during recessions as those hole-in-the-wall casinos that have the hardcore gamblers. Or to say that differently, big glitzy casino gaming probably does better during periods of economic expansion, but has a higher likelihood to decline during economic recessions. But again, that's not true for everyone. What does appear to be relatively recession-proof is lottery gambling. Personally, I wish that people who waste significant amounts of money in the lottery would instead simply invest in good dividend stocks. Okay, another category of sin stocks, which has both lovers and haters, is defense, aka weapons. Some people love investing in big military defense companies, and some people see it as patriotic to support the military. They see investing in gun companies as part of their Second Amendment rights, which they hold sacred. Other people wouldn't dream of supporting companies that build weapons. I actually think what's happening right now in the Ukraine is something that should cause people to reflect. Aren't you glad that dividend defense stocks like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon Technologies, General Dynamics, and Northrop Grumman exist and are helping Ukraine defend itself? Or do you have a different perspective? How about another burgeoning sin sector in cannabis stocks? I did an emotional video I recommend you watch called The Time I Sold All My Stocks where I talked about a risky surgery I went through. When I was recovering in the hospital from that surgery, my doctor, who was one of the best in the state, told me confidentially that cannabis could help some of the conditions I was having post-surgery. He also said he wasn't supposed to tell me that. So MJ seems to have a definite medical component to it, as well as a recreational component, both of which often still have a stigma associated with it which causes some not to invest. But I bet some of you are benefiting from cannabis without even realizing it. For example, did you know that AbbVie is a promising investment based on marijuana? They have FDA-approved Marinol, which is a man-made form of cannabis, which helps alleviate nausea during chemotherapy treatments. Marinol is also used by AIDS patients to restore appetite. 
So my guess is if marijuana becomes legalized, AbbVie will be one of the companies that benefits more than you might anticipate. Another dividend stock in the cannabis space is Scott's miracle Grow, ticker SMG, which is a large producer of gardening and lawn care products, as well as is the leading supplier of cannabis growing equipment in North America. And I should probably mention that Altria is the largest shareholder in Kronos Group, a leading global cannabinoid company. Some other dividend companies in this space include Innovative Industrial Properties, ticker IIPR, which is a REIT focused on medical cannabis. According to some estimates, the legal cannabis market in North America will expand at a compound annual growth rate of 16.6% through 2028. That's crazy big. Another dividend stock in this space is one I've already mentioned, and that's Constellation Brands, ticker STZ, which invested in Canopy Growth, a cannabis company. What other SIN stock categories are there? Well, there's adult entertainment, which includes things like strip clubs, to brothels, to porn, to equipment manufacturers. And again, you'll find a spectrum of opinions about the industry. On one hand, people will call out the dark seedy side of adult entertainment with victims of human trafficking forced to work in the sex industry, to the other side where you can find voluntary legitimate sex workers in countries where it's legal and regulated and taxed. You have companies like RCI Hospitality Holdings, which runs various men's adult clubs around the US, and they obviously just spread joy and happiness to the world. Or maybe they have a seedy underbelly, what do I know? Sin stocks can be complex and nuanced industries and companies, so I can appreciate different perspectives and ultimately can understand why some people invest while others don't. It's okay if you don't want to invest because you don't like it, even if you think you can make money off it. It's also okay if you want to invest in it, even if you don't support what it does. There are infinite paths you can take to your financial freedom, and my hope for you is that you invest in a way that makes you happy and enables your goals, and don't worry about what other people do or think. I guarantee you that someone out there will be offended by what you invest in. I had someone who railed on me once in my comments since I was investing in a farmer company that tested their medication on animals before okaying them for humans. I had someone else rail on me for investing in a pharma company because their medications were too expensive. And I get both those perspectives. I also understand that it costs a lot of money to develop a drug and bring it to market and that lots of money is spent on dead-end research drugs in order to find the one or two drugs which end up being profitable. So do I want animals to be harmed? Of course not. Do I care about humans more than animals? Not if they're really cute animals. My point is that these are complex issues and I can appreciate other people's views and reasons to invest or not to invest. Some people think that dividend companies like Hormel or Tyson Foods are sin stocks because they don't treat their cows and chickens good enough. Some people see the oil industry as immoral and unethical, contributing to climate change and plastic pollution. Others see the fossil fuel industry as an integral part of our global economy that has created millions of jobs and has allowed human civilization to evolve beyond the horse and buggy. Note, I'm long ExxonMobil and Chevron. This week I filled up my wife's SUV and had my first over $100 gas bill ever. Thank God I was out of Chevron. It really helps soothe the bite of the gas bill, knowing that next month on June 10th, Exxon and Chevron will deposit $2,590 of dividends into my brokerage account. Man, I love dividends. Speaking of which, both Exxon and Chevron are up 40% year-to-date, but you hate oil, I get it. I wonder if you're driving a gas car or chewing gum, or if you ever use Vaseline or hand lotion. Is your granny still making you sweaters with yarn? Did you take an aspirin recently to help with a hangover? Are your kids using crayons to create drawings? Are your kids wearing cleats when they play sports? Are you wearing nail polish? Did you use fishing lures this weekend when you were relaxing on the river? Do you like throwing the football around? Do you have a toilet seat in your house? Do you wear sunglasses? Do you have a tent or golf balls, toothbrushes, blah blah blah? I could go on and on, but my point is that you might hate oil companies, but man, do you benefit and use their products both directly and indirectly. 
So perhaps you should invest in oil companies and then use your shareholder voting power to influence them in whatever direction you think makes sense, and all the while get their dividends and utilize that money for whatever you want. Or not, I don't care. Moving on, another sector that some consider to be a synth stock are private prisons. More extreme examples of what some people consider synth stocks include McDonald's and Coke and Pepsi, all of which I'm long in, but haters say they contribute to obesity and diabetes and such. As I was researching this video I learned something new, which was that some Islamic investors won't invest in financial institutions that charge interest because that goes against their faith in Sharia law. And that's the same reason they don't invest in pork, gambling, media, and other industries. Luckily there are tons of great companies in the world, so invest in what you want. Don't let others dictate what you choose to invest in. If it doesn't feel right to invest in something, then don't. It's okay. But understand the risks your investments face. I've mentioned taxes and regulations as risks, but you also have to consider changing consumer tastes as a risk in whatever you invest in. Another risk angle to consider are political risks. Whatever you do, don't focus too much of your portfolio in any one stock or industry unless you understand the risks. And remember, one person's trash is another person's treasure. So my personal conclusion is that it's a sin not to own sin stocks. See what I did? I made it funny. And you gotta give me triple word score on this video's title given the double entendre. At a minimum, please hit the thumbs up button just for that, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also consider sharing my videos with one person you know, and definitely spend the two seconds it will take you to join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it from around the world. Okay, now I'd like to shout out my latest Patreon aristocrats who have signed up since my last video. So thank you Jim the producer, thank you Bullion, thank you Nivik, who signed back up at the aristocrat tier, but this time for an entire year, so he'd get the 10% discount. And thank you James, who just upgraded to the aristocrat tier and also signed up for an entire year. There are limited Patreon aristocrat spots remaining, so sign up now if you're interested. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet, which I use in lots of my videos, and they get special access to various private channels on my Discord, including one which lets you watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as lets you vote on which thumbnails I should use. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.